This is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. This is the second part of our Best of 2014 clip shows. The first part was the best segments from the Best Looking News team in public radio from the first part of the year. Now we're doing four segments from the second part of 2014. We hope you'll enjoy these fabulous clips from your favorite NPR parody podcast. Support for Consider Our Knowledge comes from the Luis Suarez Foundation, committed to helping and supporting the victims of compulsive biters. Visit SuarezBitMe.com. And TGI McFlippies, now serving our new patriotic American two-for-one dinners, including the Char Spangled Burger and Give Me Liberty or Give Me Ribs. Flip in some American flavor, neighbor. This is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. And I'm Cordell Nutbrock. There's been an uptick in the last year in the number of ads that are openly targeting gay consumers. Companies that have been sponsors of LGBT events and causes are now using commercials and print advertisements to show that they have gay-friendly products. Here to discuss these new ads and what it means in the larger context of gay rights is our LGBT correspondent, Trevin Motley. Glad to be back. Now, I'm curious. Have we seen a larger number of gay-friendly commercials lately because June is LGBT Pride Month? I would have to say yes. Lots of companies have big sponsorships of pride parades and events, and that has definitely carried over into commercials and print ads. People want their products to be seen by the gay community. It's big brands, too, like Kindle, Target, and Chevrolet. Now, the fact that June is Pride Month can't be the only reason, though. No, it isn't. What can I say? Gay people are super trendy right now. We're clearly showing our staying power in society and as consumers. The smart companies are out loud and proud. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw gay-themed Happy Meals at McDonald's before long. I see. So what do some of these gay-friendly commercials look and sound like? I'm glad you asked, Cordell, because I brought two clips of recent ads that openly targeted gay consumers. Let's play the first one. They are the ones we trust more than anyone. They are always there when we need them the most. They are family. And while what it means to be a family hasn't changed, what a family looks like has. A family could have a mom and a dad, or just a mom, or two dads, or two moms, or a mom and a closeted dad who's just kidding himself. But no matter what, every family can appreciate the brand new Chevrolet Traverse, the perfect car for a traditional family, and a pretty good car for a same-sex parent family. Chevrolet, we need any consumers we can get. Now that's obviously targeting both gay and straight consumers. Yes, it is. I think it's great that Chevy is making an effort to include all types of families in that commercial. Now I have to say though, Chevy has had so many recalls and issues with their vehicles lately that you have to wonder if they're just grabbing at straws with an ad like that. Why are you dumping all over this proud moment, Connor? Didn't you see the cute gay couples with their multiracial kids? I did. I'm just saying that it might not be as much about gay advocacy as it is about a car company struggling to hang on to customers. It did smack a bit of that. I will say it's nice to see a broader spectrum of families in a car commercial, though. Yeah, let's hear another clip. Dad, I think I got my period. Oh, what? 
Oh, jeez. Uh, I'm sorry, honey. Me and your other dad really can't help you here. What? Really? Yeah, I, I literally don't know what to do. Having your first period with two gay dads doesn't need to be a frighteningly messy ordeal. Now, there's Tampax Plus Instructions. The number one brand just got better with our step-by-step -step booklet that will walk your gay dads through every detail of what's going on down there. Even if your dad hasn't ever seen a lady's bathing suit area, we'll help him help you through it. Really? That's what we have to do? Yes. Uh, okay then. I love you, Dad. Tampax Plus Instructions. We put the men in menstruation. Thanks, Tampax. See, that ad was really helpful, and it doesn't have an agenda beyond trying to engage the LGB community. You're right, Trevin. Great. Well, I guess we'll be seeing more commercials like this in the future. Yes, we will. That was LGBT correspondent Trevin Motley. There are many bacterial infections out there that are giving medical professionals trouble. For example, people infected with Clostridium difficile suffer debilitating diarrhea, but the bug often defies antibiotics, so doctors are trying to combat it in new ways. A revolutionary new method is being used to restore good gut bacteria and banish the bad ones like C. diff. Here with a report on what researchers are doing at Massachusetts General Hospital is our very own Alex Truman in a new installment of our Consider Your Health series. Our good friends over at NPR told me about a new way doctors are fighting bacterial infections over at MassGen, so I had to go see for myself. I was met by Dr. James Scat, who took me to one of the hospital labs where they are working on ways to fight harmful bacteria. So, this is the lab where we're making our little poop pills. Uh, excuse me? Poop pills? I'm pretty sure I misheard you. Uh, no, I said poop pills. Fecal transplants can be life-saving for people with stubborn bacterial infections, but they're not for the faint of heart. So we've uh, come up with a way to make them more palatable. The frozen poop pill. Ugh. Fecal transplants? Poop pills? Yeah, that's right. Excuse me. Two hours later, once my highly sensitive gag reflex had stopped making me dry heave, and after I had wrapped my brain around the idea of fecal transplant, I was able to continue my interview with Dr. Scat. Are you okay, Alex? Yes. I think I'm fine now. Please continue with your explanation, if you would. Of course. So, as I was saying, people infected with Clostridium difficile suffer debilitating diarrhea. But antibiotics won't work. I know a thing or two about that. Well, in hopes of getting rid of C. diff, we discovered that a fecal transplant will restore the good bacteria that gets rid of it. I see. First, we tried delivering the fecal transplant through a tube snaked down the patient's nose and into the stomach. It delivered the healthy bugs, but wasn't much fun. Uh-huh. Yeah, so getting the tube down was tough, and then we worried that if people gagged and vomited, they could inhale fecal matter. Are, are you okay? Once I stopped hyperventilating, and after another hour or so of gagging, I was able to continue my interview. Uh, where was I? Uh, had I talked about the tube? Uh, yes, yeah, yes. Skip past that, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, yeah, sure. We thought a better idea of delivering the healthy feces was in a pill. Once we obtained enough samples, we could test the pills. What do the pills look like? Well, acid-resistant capsules only come in translucent, so they are sort of brownish-colored capsules. Uh-huh. All right, so stay with me now. 
I'm okay. How much is in each capsule? Oh, not very much. Maybe a half teaspoon or less. <sighs> okay. Uh, have the pills worked? Oh, absolutely. We found very favorable results in our test cases. Out of 20 people, 18 who took the pills had no recurrence of the C. diff infection. And it worked for people from age 11 to age 89. Oh, I'm glad. How many pills did they have to take? 15 pills a day for two days. Ooh. Alex, Alex, stay with me here. I came to in my own bed. Apparently, this interview was just too much for me. It will be a long time before I can go back to a research hospital. I can tell you that much. For Consider Your Health, I am Alex Truman. Very few people have made a bigger impression on the world of musical theater than Fanny Carmichael. With a talent that rivaled the greats like Carol Channing and Liza Minnelli, Fanny Carmichael was set to become one of the all-time greats. But financial mismanagement and an addiction to prescription cough drops left her life and voice in a shambles. Now at age 67, she's making a comeback with a series of cabaret shows and a new album. I sat down with Miss Carmichael and her husband and manager, Hugh Duckworth, at their apartment in New York. Miss Carmichael, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure, darling. So, what's prompting this comeback? It was Hugh's idea. We got married last year at Six Flags over Albany. And when we were in the wedding bumper cars, he told me, Kid, I'm gonna make you a star again. That's right. She's still got it. And seven is her lucky number. That's right, sweetheart. No, seven? So what's so special about seven? Well, Hugh is my seventh husband. Oh, yes, that's right. Yes, there was George, Hank, Huck, Richard Dreyfus, Porthos, he was French, Jerry, but that was really just a rehab fling, and now Hugh. This one is going to last, though. We are just made for each other. I'm so happy I could burst. Oh, that's great. No, seriously, I might pull some stitches. <laughs> I asked Fanny about the health of her voice. She famously lost it on opening night of the 1987 revival of No No Nanette. That was a dark time for me. The menthol from my prescription cough drops was so strong that it shrunk my larynx down to the size of a lima bean. The doctors called it pickled larynx and said I had almost no chance of regaining my voice. She's lucky she can even talk, let alone sing. It's true. Those damn drops were almost the end of Fanny Carmichael. I'll never forgive Liza for turning me on to them. Her 45-drop-a-day habit lost Fanny her role as Nanette, and most of her money as she looked for a cure that would bring her voice back. It was awful. I could only make this low, gurgling sound, but I knew I had to keep going. Performing was my life! When I first met her, she was gurgling her way around town, looking for work. Hugh was a producer, and he took a chance on me for his new off-Broadway show, Mime. It was a completely silent show based on the life of Marcel Marceau. She was completely uninsurable, but I took a risk on her because she was such an energetic performer. Her minor role in Mime was the first of her collaborations with Hugh. We thought about doing a mime show starring Fanny called Anti-Mime, based on the musical Mame, but we couldn't find enough money for it. 
Then in 2002, I got a call from my doctor that said my larynx was starting to heal itself. So you went almost 20 years without being able to do anything but gurgle. Yes. It was a miracle! I started being able to whisper, and by 2007, I could talk normally. And now she won't shut up! Oh, you! Fanny's return to singing is not a sure thing, but she's taking it one day at a time. I still have bad days, and I have to be careful, but my voice is really very strong. I'll say it is! She's gonna blow people away! So are you nervous about this tour? A little, but there's little Fanny Carmichaels all over the world who need to know that their dreams can come true if you work hard and believe in yourself. Fanny Carmichael's new CD, Kiss My Fanny, is due out in August, and her tour, A Whole Lot of Fanny, will begin in Albany, New York, in September. The world of foreign policy is murkier than ever, with conflicts and power struggles in many countries and regions across the globe. Few people have any real solutions to the problems in Ukraine and in the Middle East because of how complex they are. A new book by former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger addresses the state of current world affairs and gives them a historical context. Dinah was fortunate enough to sit down with Dr. Kissinger, who despite his 91 years, is still sharp and articulate when discussing the idea of order in world affairs. Here's Dinah's chat with Henry Kissinger. Dr. Kissinger, thank you for joining us on Consider Our Knowledge. You're very welcome, Dinah. It is a pleasure to talk with you today. So, in your new book, World Order, your narrative stretches from China under the emperors, Rome surrounded by barbarians, and Islam encircled by infidels, to the treaties of Europe and the pivotal positions of Russia and Iran. It is a very interesting read, and it has huge implications for the current state of foreign affairs. Indeed it does. I am very proud of the book, and it relies on history to help contextualize the current problems that we face. I'm sure you've heard this a lot lately, but why did you decide to make World Order a pop-up book? Oh, I have always been a fan of pop-up books, and I have been toying with the idea for many years. My account of the Paris Peace Accords was almost going to be a pop-up, but I changed my mind at the last minute. I finally felt that the time was right, because the intelligence of the average person has dropped so low because of the YouTube and the tweeting that a pop-up book is the only way they can possibly grasp the concepts I outline. I see. Now, it is a very long pop-up book at over 500 pages. Yes, it actually holds two world's records for longest pop-up book and most pull tabs on one page. Yes, the page you're talking about is in the section of the book covering the conflict between Israel and Palestine. We needed 32 pull tabs to help illustrate all of the boundary changes that have occurred in Gaza over the many long years of that conflict. The previous record for pop-up pull tabs was only 15 in the classic book Mr. Wiggles and the Trip to Rainbow Island. It is one of my favorites. Of course, Mr. Wiggles. Tell us about the section of the book regarding the Islamic State, because I think that you provide some very compelling insights. Well, the ISIS problem is not specifically addressed, but I do spend several chapters on that part of the world. 
The page where we illustrate the fall of Iraq is one that I am very proud of. You pull a tab, and the statue of Saddam Hussein is toppled to the ground. Ha 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 ha. It is very whimsical. Colin Powell called me and told me that he ripped that tab out because he pulled it too many times. Back to ISIS, Dr. Kissinger. Ah, yes. They cut the throat of an American on television. This is an insult to the United States, and I would strongly favor a strong attack on ISIS for a period that is related to the murder of the American. I'm frankly glad my book was finished before that unfortunate incident because it would be hard to depict it in pop-up form. Too gruesome, I think. Agreed. Finally, do you have any thoughts on the 2016 election? You touch on it briefly in your book, and I'm curious how you see it going. I know Hillary Clinton well, and as a personal friend, I would say she'd be a good president. But she'd put me under a great conflict of interest if she were a candidate, because I tend to support Republicans. But the GOP today is very underwhelming to me. They seem like the kind of people who would have trouble understanding my pop-up book. I hope they read it, though, because I went to a lot of trouble sketching out all of the pictures. Wait, you drew it all? Of course. I did have some help from Dick Cheney, who is very good at drawing bloody battle scenes. Dr. Kissinger, thank you for your time. You are most welcome. That was my interview with Dr. Henry Kissinger, author of the new book, World Order, which is available wherever scholarly pop-up books are sold. That's all for this special episode of Consider Our Knowledge. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode from the best-looking news team in public radio. Thanks so much to everyone who's made the past year possible here at COK including the COK team of Natalie Thorpe, Marianne Wetzel, Jeremiah Knight, Emily Clausen, Hobart Willis, Spencer Cannon, Libby Mitchell, and our little intern, Ryan Shattuck. Thanks for listening. I'm Connor Bentley.